0: a podcast one production your morning agenda summer edition hello natasha belling here thanks for your company this wednesday the 6th of january now as many of you are enjoying a well-deserved break we are looking at the top news stories that have set the agenda in 2020 and will still be making news throughout 2021 We'll be back with all the breaking news from Monday the 11th of January, but until then, please enjoy Your Morning Agenda's Summer Edition. She is the best-selling author that holds the secrets to one of the most challenging jobs in life, raising teenagers. Maggie Dent is a former teacher and counsellor and mother to four boys. Her wise words of advice about raising good men and women are vital in an age where many teenagers are struggling with technology, mental health battles and are exposed to an alarming and overwhelming level of violence and pornography. More than ever, Maggie says we need to show our teenagers unconditional love and both mums and dads need to step up. As she says, just don't give up. It's the fight that will teach our kids their shadow is not bigger than their light. Maggie Dent, I am such a huge fan. Thank you so much for joining us in the summer edition of your Morning Agenda.
1: Hi, Tash, some fellow uh, boy mama. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I Look, as soon as I read your book, you've got a new book, which we'll speak about a little later, Calling from Boys to Men. I am the mother of a, a 12-year-old son and a 14-year-old son, and you have saved our lives. How important oh. was this for you to write a book about this?
1: Oh, look, it was, it was like this is what I was meant to be on the planet for. That's how important this is decoding boys' behaviour, which I started with mothering our boys. But this window, you know, this is the, the trickiest window for any child, whether it's a girl or a boy, but boys were the most maligned, misunderstood, um, shouted at, shamed at, growled at. And I just thought, hang on a minute, we need to dive underneath that and help us all to learn how to understand them a little better. And oh my goodness, the, the messages that I'm getting just, I do, I cry most days when I get these messages that, so yeah, this is, this is probably the most important thing I think I'll ever do in my life
0: are going to make me start crying because you've got a great chapter saying, I don't know who this person is. When you have these beautiful boys and girls and they become teenagers and you think, who is this standing in my living room? And talking about letters, can I just read this passage that you've written in your book called A Letter Your Teenager Can't Write You? And I'm just going to quote here. I'm going to start crying. Just don't give up on me. Don't give up on this fight. I need it. This is the fight that will teach me that my shadow is not bigger than my light. And this is the most important job that anyone could possibly be doing for me right now. Absolutely.
1: My challenge is that the digital world is that she's stolen away a lot of the kind of parenting that we do because kids learn stuff whoa, way ahead of what we would like them to. But also it's like the rails on the bridge fell off and we know that on the journey to womanhood and manhood, you absolutely need significant people there. And, yes, they push back from parents a little, but they still want you to hold on. And I know there were boys, you know, when I was counselling full-time after I finished my teaching career, who said, I just wish I had parents who even cared enough to try and put boundaries in place. So we think, we think they're going to be fine, you know, because they can learn everything. But seriously... They absolutely need us. And I, I guess the hardest bit, you've got two in the trickiest window, Touch. Good luck on that. And <laughs> um, The early, the tween to teen to 14, oh, my gosh, that is a massive window. And I, I used to get so many emails from parents saying, I think, I think something terrible has happened to my son. I think, I think an alien's stolen him. <laughs> it's almost like overnight you can just suddenly have this you know, monosyllabic grunting, moody, um, shut down boy that used to be really quite different. And so when we really understand all of the changes that are going on for him, then we can understand why some days he's just not the shining light he used to be and that no boy gets out of bed in the morning and wants to be what sometimes turns up, not one of them.
0: I love the way that you describe boys and it's about understanding teenagers because I guess we've all been there, but gosh, it's a long time ago. You can't <laughs> seem to remember what it was like. How, how different and difficult is it for teenagers today? I think technology has changed everything.
1: You're absolutely right. And that's one of the challenges that we know that there's always been a gen- um, generation gap between parents and their teens. We've always had that. This is a chasm. Because what's happened in, um, you know, not, it seems like a short space of time, but um, not just technology, but smartphones that they've got glued into their hands because they're biologically wired to want to hang out with friends and peers more often. And they're seeking validation and acceptance probably from them more than their parents, which is what's been happening forever. But in a digital space, oh my goodness, you know, and they're not good at reading, um, you know, they're. They misread messages and images. So in actual fact, it's an incredibly intensely vulnerable time emotionally to navigate. And I guess, you know, my, you know, and there are parts of the book that I know you would have found hard to read when we learn how many of our boys are watching pornography and it's violent pornography. We know there's such a thing as, um, you know, incredible violence online that can really mess with developing brains, especially around character. And that's really what I wanted to let everyone know. You can still raise exceptional, gorgeous boys that are going to be amazing men one day, but you have to step up. You cannot leave it to chance in this digital world.
0: So, Maggie, I'm so glad that you raised the pornography issue because that's been something that I know is concerned a lot of parents, um, I really believe we're starting to see the implications now for both young men and young women. The stats showed that the average child in Australia is exposed to pornography at just the age of 10. How damaging do
1: you think exposure to pornography is? Well, it's even worse than that. So um, Joe Tucci from the Childhood Foundation has clear evidence that his organisation which deals with those sorts of vulnerable issues has had a 500% increase in inquiries around inappropriate sexual play with children under five. Oh my gosh. So children, when we just hand a device and we haven't got all the things on place that mean that you can't watch other stuff, then we've got sickos out there that are embedding pornography into side tag bars. Um, they're even putting it into some, some of children's programs on um, kids' YouTube. So If they've got something like that in their hand, there's a chance of that. So the other part we have to do today is we have to start educating our children from four and five about their private parts and nobody has permission to that and what happens when you see images of naked people and people doing those sorts of things. They need to be able to come to us early so that we can work out ways to protect them. When we've got... um, You know, I think the increase, it's like there's this really sad dilemma going on that dads are stepping forward, big-hearted, tender-hearted dads are really, oh, they're really coming forward. This is the most exciting time for all families. And then at the other side, this is is underground and it's impacting the way that boys are going to form intimate relationships. So it's like one is cancelling out the other. We have to have serious conversations with our boys and our girls that pornography is not a safe, um, consensual, intimate relationship.
0: How do we deal with that, Maggie? Because you can't put your head in the sand. They're going to be exposed to it, whether it's through their own device, another device, another friend's place that they're staying at. How do you get that good balance and, and just basically have that conversation with them?
1: oh look it's it's not one conversation that's the big no. thing we have to have those conversations from as soon as they've got a device in their hand even though that accesses the internet we have to have conversations that what we want our boys to grow up to be is respectful in relationships that they you know that they are capable of being um, you know aware of other people's needs it's not that a right that they have this is the deconstruction of the old man code that said you know that women belong to men so when we have those conversations, they'll roll their eyes at you at times. Seriously, you know, a really good place to have them is in the car. <laughs> yeah, just on the way home. Oh the gosh. best conversations <laughs> happen in the car. <laughs> side by side, not eyeball to eyeball. <laughs> but you pick a real example and fortunately, sadly, there is lots of them out there in the world, particularly mm. with badly behaved sportsmen. what we do is we take that and we have a chat to them and say, no, this isn't, this isn't consent. This is not okay in any format. And we had those conversations over and over again. But we also say, one day, I, you know, what I want for you is to experience great sex and they'll roll their eyes again. But what we want them to know is that there is a pathway to be, um, you know, intimate with another human being who you have feelings for that is just sensational. That does involve, you know, sex. But what we don't want them to believe is this is the only way and you can hear the, you know, the harassment and the, the banter around schools has shifted, mm-hmm. sadly, from kind of harmless, silly stuff now to very, very porn-driven language. And our girls are copying that. Instead of being called hottie or gorgeous, they're called hoes and whores and sluts because boys think it's funny. It's
0: so we've got a massive
1: job. It's been normalized via pornography online. So as parents educators, extended family or what I call the tribe that you need to form around your boy, we've got a big job and, yes, we can do it.
0: Maggie, I love that you mentioned before about... A positive thing with parenting today is that dads are stepping up and we're seeing this amazing relationship between daughters and their dads and sons and their dads. How do you get that balance right? Because unfortunately we are seeing the portrayal of, you mentioned it before, badly behaved men or badly behaved women. How do we make sure that we hear all of these great stories about these many wonderful men that are raising our children?
1: Oh, look, I think that's, that's what we're, we've really got to kind of prioritise that. So any time, and um, it's one of the things that, you know, I'm really mindful of finding those things and sharing them on my social media pages because we want to be able to share the stories of good men and sometimes, you know, young boys who are doing amazing things that are just doing things, not necessarily running marathons, but thinking of others. So when we find those stories, and there are, finally some books coming out for boys there is a plethora of books for girls you know on how you can be an exceptional girl but there aren't that many for boys so there are turning up so that's a really good one but it's finding an example in the real world and giving that attention so what we've got to do is bring them to the light and then remind them about them a few times because what they tend to see because news is focused about sharing the worst possible examples of males and humanity technically so we've got to counteract that and then fortunately what's really really good is that you know basically most men are good decent human beings i'm i'm sorry that i disagree with toxic masculinity i don't think the gender is is toxic i know that there are toxic males there are also toxic females in our world but when we actually talk about the gender as being mainly good folk, and point them around in your own tribe, uncles, grandparents, neighbours. And I think that's what we do. We find specific examples because boys want to see it and feel it, not have a lecture about it.
0: You are so incredibly wise, and I love reading about your life story because you (laughs) have four beautiful sons. You grew up with brothers. And I love reading your analogy of how men work. Because gosh, they're different to how women work. Seriously, I I and I think, oh my gosh, my boys aren't listening. And I tell you what, when you (laughs) explain men, I was sitting in bed reading your book, and I said, this is actually my husband, not my sons. Where they, you know, that they're not really focused with their brains; they're not good at tasks. You have to write lists. Explain how the male brain works, and that often their vagueness (laughs) is not intentional.
1: Absolutely. So um, we are biologically wired still as, the, uh, as we were in caveman days and that what that was, the men's jobs were seriously very simple, <laughs> um, defend and protect and provide. So they had to provide the large source of protein and they had to kill bad things that threatened. So that's why there's this tendency often um, in most boys, but not all boys, again, to be quite physically active and try and prove themselves and all that sort of stuff. On the other side, what happened... Women did everything else. They remembered everything. They have to keep bloodlines pure. They have to be able to know when the seasons are changing. They have to know where all the, you know, things are to make the rest of the meal other than... So in other words, we remember everything. And the guys remember very specific things. And that, that's why bin night sometimes he can forget <laughs> that. And we're going, what? I can not know if been bin nights, Tuesday night every night. But he may have some other single focus going on in his mind that is consuming him and he's not... You know, try talking to a guy looking at his phone or on his computer. You know, we can talk to them and have two conversations going and still be ordering and have three tabs open on our computer because our brain is a little differently wired. And then it's not that they're thick, it's they're focused. It's a focus. And this is why sometimes if your boy is in the lounge room and he may be watching TV or he may be on his phone and you call out to him, he doesn't hear you. They actually almost can't hear you. So going over and rubbing his back and then saying what we want to say actually helps him really, you oh, know, something going on. So when we get an understanding, it was so funny really, Tash, because, you know, I wrote Mothering Our Boys for Mothers, but it was so funny that the dads that were coming were emailing me later saying I was dragged along, you know, parenting seminars, blah, blah. Oh, my God, i learned so much about me. I don't know if anyone else has told you this, Maggie, but, my wife and I are closer Mm. than we've ever been in 15 years because we understand each other better because of your seminar. And that that to me was unexpected gold.
0: Oh, and Maggie, I was reading in your book also that you've had many great lessons and you've met many great people throughout your wonderful life. But you say that uh, uh, a young boy you met many years ago, Matthew, was your Mm. greatest teacher. Tell us about Matthew.
1: Well, I was a high school English teacher as my first year out and I was teaching year eights to year tens and I didn't know you'd have students who couldn't read in your classes that didn't come up at university and he was completely illiterate, a big long fringe and he used, he wasn't a, a rat bag because quite often when they can't read or they struggle with English, they play up and behave badly but he wasn't and um, I, I, just, I didn't know how to help him and I was helping him. Um, you know, put some words on paper because he's actually quite articulate. He just couldn't put it on paper and he couldn't read. And and then I, one day, because it was a country town, I gave him a ride home. It was, you know, hot, hot day. And instead of getting those one word sentences in the classroom, he turned to me and said, would you like to come in for a cup of tea? And I thought, I knew his mum was a solo mum. So I thought, well, I'll go in and have a cup of tea. And there's this boy. And the conversation was, I was talking to someone who was not who I taught in the classroom. He was um, loving and caring. He went out and got the washing off the line without pegs. Um, he made me a cup of tea with real tea leaves. He put a chicken in the oven because his mum was coming home later. Um, I just suddenly realised that what we see in a classroom and what we judge from boys may not all what's underneath. And then back in the classroom, there was I went and did a video about, um, uh, it was really about, discrimination, but it was just with dots. It was a very symbolic thing. And I, at the end of it, I asked the kids what it was about. Even my brightest kid said, oh, I have no idea, it's just dots. And he put his hand up and said, oh, Miss, I know what that's about. He said, that's colour discrimination where people think they're better than other people because of the colour of their skin. But, you know, they're not. We're all one. Mm-hmm. And that boy, um, there was something incredibly wise in that boy. And from that moment on, everyone respected him and turned to him for his insights. But he struggled when he left school and he couldn't get a licence, couldn't get a job and he ended up with, you know, marijuana problems. And Matthew took his own life at 23. Oh. And that drives, you know, a lot of my work is that with more understanding, we, we can be the safety net for those boys.
0: Maggie, how does it for you, is that something that continues to drive you is that... Um... Yeah. You know, there are people like Matthew and they're misunderstood and it's about finding connection with these kids and that all of us can make a difference.
1: Yes. And we really have to look at the way that we are um, still um, disciplining these particular boys, particularly in high school. We still got a very old code there. We've got a lot of research around trauma-informed behaviour now and a lot of the ones who behave the worst aren't bad kids. They actually, not that they can't, won't behave well, it's that they actually haven't got the tools or the capacity and there's no hope for them. So, again, I think we've got to, we are starting to change it. There's no question. It's just going to take some time that rather than just endlessly punishing them, we step beside them and help them learn the skills they don't have and be the ally that they need, what I call a lighthouse figures. We all need them, significant adults who care about us, The more we have of those, the more we increase the chances of all of those boys getting through to adulthood. Um, And that's really the messages I got from the surveys I did from the the men and the boys, that there were people who helped them get over that awfully bumpy bridge to manhood.
0: So when we're on that bridge, I could talk to you all day. Maggie, (laughs) you are so wonderful to talk with. If someone's listening right now, not mentioning anyone in particular like myself, that's on that bumpy road right down on that bridge because they eventually do come back to us and love us again. Um, What would your
1: advice be to them right now? Okay, so I guess I know this sounds really crazy, but in amongst it all, um, if you are able to find within yourself to love them and show that you can love them fiercely and unconditionally, no matter what turns up, Every single time you do that, and give them sometimes a gesture of kindness, it goes in to like a little bank inside them, and that it does give them hope. I mean, I can remember uh, my most volatile son coming home, and giving me a big serve after. Um, uh, I think I asked him to do the dishwasher, and he gave me all his reasons why he <laughs> felt that was a really bad idea. Yeah, um, stomped off to his bedroom, slammed the door. Well. Normally, you know, if you've been reacted by that and it's not easy not, let's be honest, Um, I had learnt not only through my teaching but also just as who I was. So I made him uh, 20 minutes, always let them calm down. 20 minutes later, I make a cup of Milo and take a bicky down and knock at the door, always knock and pause if you've got teenage boys. Open the door without saying a word, pop the Milo, the bicky and shove the dog in and shut the door. Because what I want my son to know is despite what just happened, we're okay. They need to know that we can still love them while they're being these, these incredibly unpredictable and sometimes unpleasant human beings, seriously. And I mean, how many times you often say, how many times do I have to say, could you not leave the milk on the bench after you've had something at night? <laughs> and, and, and could you not put the empty one back in the fridge? Like you, you look Honestly, if you haven't got a sense of humour, their brain... Is not mature enough to remember, and so we've got to recognise. Hang on, there's there's reasons for these choices. They're not intentionally doing them to pee me off. Um, and please have a circle of good mamas who are going through it as well, because debriefing and having a chuckle and and sharing stories with and and, and reassuring each other that you've got this. And you said something a moment ago, Tash, which I loved, and that is you'll think you've lost them forever and they're never coming back. They do. And, you know, every moment that you were loving instead of revolting to them means they come back a little bit quicker. And there is nothing more stunning than um, when your son holds his firstborn child in his arms to show his mother.
0: You've made me cry again, Matt. <laughs> Yes. Oh, you it are is, so wonderful. It is
1: a moment that no matter how revolting it gets, to be worth it.
0: Oh, and we can't wait for them to join us on the other <laughs> yep. side of that bridge. Absolutely. Can I just Absolutely. end it by saying I, just, I know I mentioned it earlier, but I just want to give this quote again from this teenager that uh, can't write you the letter right now. Yep. Just don't give up on me. Don't yep. give up on this fight. I need it. This is the fight that will teach me yep. that my shadow
1: is not bigger than my light. And one of my favourite mantras was there is nothing you will ever say or do that will stop me loving you. Nothing.
0: Maggie Dent, you are an Australian legend and thank you for (laughs) what you are doing in sparking a very important conversation about how we raise our teenagers and make them good men and women. Thank you, Tash. You're a legend. And Maggie Dent's new book, From Boys to Men, is available now. Don't forget your morning agenda with the latest news headlines is back from Monday the 11th of January. Tomorrow we'll be back with another episode in the summer series where we will be chatting about our farmers. After facing financial ruin, our rural communities are booming, but now they have a new fight on their hands. We chat with the Farmers' Federation about life on the land and why more than ever we need to value Australia's primary producers. I'm Natasha Belling. Thanks so much for your company. Have a great day and we look forward to seeing you tomorrow.